It is Wednesday, October 25th. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save $450 on the Braun EV5922 gun safe, now just $1450, or explore the full line of safes at CalgaryLockandSafe.com. Yeah, Steinberg and Vickers is back with us after a unfortunate uh, week. Uh, yeah, a week hiatus. It's good to have you back and almost at 100%. Uh, Vickers from NHL.com, Pat Steinberg, Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And let's go Inside Hockey to kick off this hour. Inside Hockey's for Calgary Co-op. This hockey season, support local. Find your all-time classics and locally brewed beers. Visit your local Calgary Co-op wine, spirits, beer today. Well, feels like the Flames are at a uh, really critical point of their season. And I fully realize it's early. I am usually the... Okay, settle down, seven games in type thing. I, I usually am and, and have for years been that on that side of bad starts, which we've seen many of over the years with the Flames. But I guess when I take a look at the temperature of the conversation surrounding this team, when I listen to some of what is being said out of this Flames locker room, when I see some of what is happening on the ice and some of the frustration that, again, this is from the outside. We're not inside that room, but feels like there's some frustration that is really starting to build here. As much as this team is attempting to separate from last year, and Jacob Markstrom shuts down any question about last year, and Nazem Kadri does, and Jonathan Huberdeau does, and good, as they should. Like, you want to separate last year from this year. This is a new year. But that was a miserable season last oh. year. Everybody inside that room hasn't forgotten how miserable that is as much as they like to. They like to. And now they're two, four, and one. They're having trouble scoring. Top players are struggling. They're losing games they quote unquote should win. And so with the coaching change and with the GM change and with all the talk about better vibes and a new start, a clean slate, all of that. Many of the th same things that plagued them last year are plaguing them in a start where they've lost five of seven. And, and so I guess when I hear some of the comments and I'll, I'll hit you with some in a second, but before I do that, I'll just throw it to you. When I hear some of the comments, when I hear the temperature or, or, or take the temperature and hear what's being said on the outside and seeing what we're seeing on the ice, it just feels like if things don't, start to turn a corner here in the next few weeks. I don't know. It just feels like we're in a very, very weird pocket of their season. And I know it's only seven games in and a two, four and one start is not insurmountable by any in any way, shape or form. Of course it's surmountable. We've seen many teams get off to eh, first 10 games or whatever and figure it out. But because of what happened last year and because of all the uncertainty with Lindholm and Hannafin and others and, because it feels like the frustration of last year is very close to rearing its ugly head again. It just, it, it feels like they're at a somewhat or, or approaching a critical juncture of their season, even though we're only seven games in. 
this is going to be that's, a great, that's me. This is going to be a great analysis because this is going to be as wishy-washy as it gets. I don't know whether it's time to hit the panic button or pause and take a breath because as you mentioned, seven games, we're not even 10% of the way through the season. It's not quite sky is falling territory, but one or two more losses and it feels like it's all coming tumbling down like a house of cards. Like the frustration is real in the players. I get it. I understand it. A lot of it's carried over from last season where, as you mentioned, kind of a miserable 82 game campaign break for the summer, new coach, new GM, good vibes all around. And then it all evaporates. And in theory, for me, far too early in the season to let frustration set in. But it's here. And a lot of it's carryover, even though there were those good vibes in training camp and you've got new people in new positions. I feel like, to steal maybe your term, we're not far off from finding that teetering point of what the Calgary Flames are going to be this season and how things are going to go either positively or negatively. Well, and then you hear this from Nikita Zadorov on Tuesday. This was prior to the Rangers' loss, 3-1 on Tuesday night. But, you know, these comments, in, in a lot of ways, and I'm not trying to say that, that Zadorov came out and wanted to make a statement. He was a request from all of us. He answered questions honestly like he always does. But, you know, there's no question that Nikita Zadorov, these, these type of comments made some waves after everybody heard him. We're trying to figure out our identity. Um, I mean, it was tough road trip for us, not what we were looking for. Um, there's some things need to get working out, but I think main thing for us, we're just not working as the unit yet. We're, uh, we have too many individuals playing by themselves, so I think we just, we gotta figure out if we wanna play as the team or if we wanna play as the home guy, whatever. Well, last season was different, different, like the, everyone, it was Daryl. No, there's no Daryl, so there's no excuses. You know what I mean? You guys don't like hard coaches, you don't like good soft coaches, you don't like good coaches, fair. Like, I mean, you just, it's a, it's a new day league. You know, you, you come up here, you play hard, and you just leave everything on the ice. I think that's, that's how simple it is. So you hear that, that's Nikita Zadorov, six games in at that point. Those are some pretty strong words from a player inside that room. And then after a 3-1 loss, inevitably some follow-up questions on those comments, like for instance, to Captain Michael Backlund. Oh, I think we have a great team in here. Um, everyone's, you know, trying the best. We want all want the same. We want to win games. So we're uh, we're, you know, we're a really good team. I believe in the guys, and I love all the guys off the ice. So we're a great group here. And same thing with Blake Coleman. No, I disagree with that. Um, I I think what he's saying is is similar to what I'm saying. Guys need to take it on themselves, and um, you know, whether his words got just misused or whatever it was, I think. He's coming from a place of care. He wants to win just as bad as I do, as bad as, as we all do. And sometimes when you're frustrated, you say things that, that can come out the wrong way. But, um, you know, we believe in our group. We have a really close-knit group. We've got a lot of really good people in this organization. And um, at the end of the day, like I said, I think I think the guys are going to do it the right way. I think we're going to get better as we go here. And uh, and one game at a time, and we're going to have a much better effort next game. And, and, and I'm not trying to fabricate a story about infighting or that's not what I'm attempting to do at all because I don't I don't think that's true I I I believe Blake Coleman when he says they're a tight-knit group I I know I I talked to enough guys that I I don't think that is really an issue it's more just that 
okay, that comment gets made from Nikita on Tuesday morning, and then players are getting asked about it on Tuesday night, and they're not scoring, and they're not winning, and it just, it feels like this thing has got the potential of boiling over with frustration, and not because guys don't like each other, and not because it's a bad culture in the locker room, just because it's a frustrating start to the season after a frustrating 82 games and uh, an off season that had a lot of change, but also you enter a season with all kinds of uncertainty. And what, what have we been saying all along that a good start to the season makes it so potential distractions like a Noah Hannafin decision or an Elias Lindholm decision or a Chris Tanev decision. Those kind of things get put on the back burner. If you're off to a good start, but goodness, do they become a whole lot more at the forefront if you're not playing well or if the results aren't coming or if you're not off to a good start. Well, they're not off to a good start. They're 2-4-1. They've lost five of their last six since opening the year with that win over Winnipeg. And and so all I'm saying is, is that it feels like right now in the next week or two, this has got to be the time where they start to right the ship and we start to see a lot of this effort turn into meaningful things. And we start to have a lot of the text that I'm reading right now, proven wrong about this is just what they are. They're not good enough. It's a poorly constructed team and they can't score. I don't know if that's true, but now is the time for the team to prove that that's not true because if they don't in the next two or three weeks and we continue to see what we've seen to start this year, which looks at times very similar to what we saw last year with different people running the show, that's when I feel like this thing does boil over. And once it boils over, I don't know if you can put that lid back on. That's that's what I'm worried about. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying that you know the 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 anybody's told me that's what's going to happen because that's not the case. It's just observing from afar. You just want to get a, a lid on this frustration and and start to be able to lean into some positive things. And I think that comes with positive results to begin with. Is this how fine a line it is for the Calgary Flames this season? I'm just going to toss a thought out there and I'm going to get you to react to it, Pat. They're 2-4-1, and one, as you mentioned. If they're 3-3-1, three, three and one, can they still be dissatisfied with this isn't a start? All we're doing is taking one, one loss, turning it into one win. They're 500 points percentage, and then they can go... Well, we're just a little slow to adapt to a new system, but because they've only won two of seven games, because they had all that turnover after what was a terrible year from a player perspective, that all of a sudden this gets amped up and they were going under they were going to be under the microscope no matter what coming into this season. Because as Nikita Zadorov mentioned, all right, you remove the head coach. There's no more excuses from the head coach perspective. Where do the excuses come from now? There's really only one place, and that's the locker room. But are we talking about such a fine line between frustration setting in and, you know what, we're just a little slow to adapt. The, the line is one win. Like, if they're 3-3-1, three, three and one, are we having this conversation? If they, I'm not even saying beat the Rangers. I don't if know. The, the same result against the Rangers, but they happen to come in with one more win. Are we looking at this differently? Because it sure sounds, when you played the three clips, this is not a, a comfy group. This isn't a happy group. This isn't a settled group going... Yeah, all those things we talked about in the summer and in training camp. Yeah, we're seeing the fruits of that happening right now because the Calgary Flames clearly are frustrated with what's going on. Well, and that's that's the only reason I'm worried. And and 
because a lot of what is happening is reminiscent of last last year. And honestly, there are things that are different. I mean, you go take a look at some of the, the metrics, like that NHL Edge just came out, and it correlates quite accurately with some of the uh, natural stat trick or, or other shot metric, um, shot metric outputs. Flames are a top two to five team, five on five in zone time. And they've done a better job this year with top end zone time, like they had last year, of turning that into high danger scoring chances. Are high skate are high danger chances up? They are. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Five on five, they are yeah. for sure. Um, but they've scored four goals in these last three games, and the you see guys, there's some slamming sticks, and there's some looking upwards, and there's some four letter bombs, and like there's. As the team isn't scoring, the frustration seems very palpable right now. And so this is when Blake Coleman, this is when Michael Backlund, this is when those are two guys, for instance, that that come to mind. Backlund's the captain. Coleman is a guy who I think even though he doesn't wear a letter, the fiery but calm demeanor that he brings to the group, the fact that he's a two-time Stanley Cup champion, all of that... I think it it lends to him being an absolute leader inside that room. Like this is just this is now the time where I think this group needs to say okay. You know, there's a Elliot Friedman report sometime in the last third of last season where he he on 32 thoughts basically said the group said enough. We're going to stop airing frustrations in public. We're going to stop complaining. We're just going to play. And I just wonder if this is a okay. We're a tight knit group. Let's come together. Let's let's do everything in our power so that frustration doesn't get the better of us. A whole lot easier said than done by me on a microphone than them going and skating on the ice. I fully fully grant you that. I don't know. Just feels like a tipping point, or or we're coming close to that tipping point, and we all want this to be better than last year. No, but fans don't. Media doesn't. Organization doesn't hell the players sure don't. Nobody wants a repeat of last year. So I just think they've got an opportunity. And maybe that's the best way I'd phrase it is I do think that there is an opportunity for them to change the narrative here. They just do a few things differently. And and I don't know. I don't know if it's that easy to start converting on your scoring opportunities, but I just it does feel like there's an opportunity for them to to start shifting things here. Well, and if either of us had a definitive answer as to the cure for what ails the Calgary Flames, we'd be making a lot more money and we wouldn't be sitting in this room right now. We'd be probably a couple kilometers the other direction. But it certainly does feel like December, January, February, March of last season, we're only seven games into this one. And you can put a, a stop on, okay, we're not going to say anything relevant to the media in terms of frustration or things like that, but body language speaks volumes. It, at times it can speak louder than words. And I don't think we've necessarily seen the Calgary flames, generally speaking anyway, poised in times of frustration. And that can be a very telling fact. And listen, the frustration is real. We've, we've heard it. We've seen it. We're talking about it now. What is the cure? I don't necessarily know, but when you're having players come out and sort of saying the things that they're saying, it it does set off a couple of alarm bells for me. So am I overreacting or no in your no, eyes? No, okay. not at all. Okay. I, am I overreacting? Like no, I'm again, I'm not so. ready to hit the panic button, but I don't know if pausing and taking a breath is going to cure what ails the Calgary flames right now. Yeah. Um, 
And because of where things are, I just wonder even if I'm Craig Conroy as the general manager, if I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that you close any doors. I just wonder if maybe you just gear down a little bit or, or you take this as an opportunity because as a general manager, as much as you're invested, I've heard enough GM say this, as much as you're invested on a game-to-game basis and you're living and dying with the team and, and all of that, you also need to separate yourself from the little picture game-to-game stuff and look at this as a bigger puzzle. And I just wonder if you're Craig Conroy right now, if you gear down and say, let's just be a little patient before we ink a couple of big contract extensions, one, two, whatever, if Lindholm, Hannafin, whatever the way they uh, go about it. Um, I just, that, that sounds pretty reasonable too, because if this thing doesn't get back on the rails and I think they can, I, I want to, I want to be very clear. I do think they're capable of being better than what we've seen. I've seen some positives. I think they can be a better group than two, four, and one. They're not, I don't think they're Vegas or Colorado, but I don't think that they're a bottom dwelling team either. Now, others may disagree, and that's fine. I think they're better than two, four, and one. But like if I'm Craig Conroy, I'm waiting three or four weeks here, see how the next 15 games or so go, and then really take a a hard look at your group and say, all right, we're past American Thanksgiving and we're into the month of November. Where are we? If if the team's scoring more and if the team is now starting to get results from some of the good things they're doing and it's becoming more second nature with what Ryan Huska wants this team to do, well, then maybe it makes it a whole lot easier to have the conversation about signing a Hanif into a long-term extension or signing a Lindholm to a long-term deal. If you're still scuffling, if you're still below 500, if you're losing ground in the playoff race and it looks like you know this is going to be a a year that's going to be tough to get back on the rails. Maybe that's your indication that going the trade route is the way to go with your unrestricted free agents. That's kind of where I'm at right now. And I've been the biggest advocate, not the biggest, but I have been an advocate of re-signing Lindholm if you can. But now that I've seen seven games, I just, I wonder if I slow play that a little bit more if I'm the flames. This might be overreactionary. I don't gear down. I hammer on the brakes. And it's not necessarily suggesting that said pending unrestricted free agents are the issue. But if I'm Craig Conroy, I need to know exactly what my team is before I'm going to dole out a pair of eight-year contracts or a seven-year contract and an eight-year contract with this involving the same group that we saw last season that's a part of this season where you're just getting middling results. And... American Thanksgiving is that good date to to decide what exactly the Calgary Flames 2023-24 edition is. And even if you're struggling and maybe you're still at a subpar pace, maybe you're just on the outside, maybe you're just in, maybe you're well out. I revisit looking at the guys like Lindholm and Hannah. I'm not immediately ruling them out as long-term signees because you got to look at, okay, hypothetically, if you deal in Noah Hannafin, how are you replacing him? Are you just replacing him with youth? Are you going the quasi-rebuild, retool, whatever? Are you going to be able to more efficiently use that money on the open market, whether it's immediately a year from now, two years from now, versus just having him, as an example, locked up Mm long-term? But to circle back on the original point, 
I don't think doling out a pair of eight-year contracts right now on a team that's two, four, and one that's seemingly continuing down the same path as they were a year ago is the right approach. That's why I say there's a real good opportunity here if you're inside that room to, okay, yeah, shut us all up. Because you hear you heard Michael Backlund. I played that clip. We love each other. We're a great team. We're capable of more. Blake Coleman said the same thing after the loss against the Rangers. And I'm not I'm not saying that's lip service. I don't think Blake Coleman ever gives you cool. lip service. That guy, that he guy hates was to lose. That guy was pissed last night. Yeah. That guy was not impressed. And so I don't think he's given us lip service at all. I I think he believes they're a whole lot better. And so I really think this is an opportunity for them to maybe change their um, change their paradigm, their narrative, and their course, but they got to do it soon. And that could provide one way or the Usually I'm not one to go down the road of hyperbole like this, but it feels like in the next few weeks, there's a, a number of answers that could be provided about what this group is. And I usually, I usually would not say like, ease off like it's come on October and November but maybe I'm guilty of connecting it to last season too but just started snowing two days ago it feels like it's been snowing for six and a half years ouch uh read you a few texts at 960 uh this says please don't sign any more albatross contracts Conroy they have plenty already trade Lindholm this says um Things are not getting substantially better if their best player by far is their aging third-line center who has three inconsequential assists in seven games and can't finish a high-danger scoring chance if his life depended on it. Talking about Backlund, that comes from Robin Coldale. Um, This from Mick, who says, the original Mick, uh, when does the truth just get said? This is a middling team with no real chance. It must be built from the ground up with a lot of patience. Um, maybe if you guys saw the eighties and then have watched this week, uh, let's just get in the playoff short-term approach for 30 years. Plus you'd feel just like me been saying this all along. The best thing that can happen is moving Lindholm for a top prospect in a first, uh, not Bovillier like the Canucks got with Ronick for Horvat. You're not building anything with Huberdeau or Kadri. That comes from Mick. Um, this says, um, Connie shouldn't perpetuate your living's mistakes by extending Lindholm and Hannafin being a mediocre team for so long is brutal. That's why there's frustration that seems to persist in the team. This reads, you're telling us that if Lindholm's camp approaches Conroy and says, we accept your previous offer, let's finalize this, that Conroy should and would say, nah, forget that. We're going to see if we suck first. Well, that's not exactly what I'm saying, but I respond to that texter with a kind of, yeah, I, for them to say, yeah, let's just see. I just want to see where we are. And I honestly think that's probably where Lindholm's at right now, too, is let's just see where we are. And I want to see how things develop here for the next little while as well. I want to get your feedback on another text that reads, this is an absolute overreaction. We're seven games into the season. Does this feel like less than 10% of the season, or does this just feel like a continuation from last season where you're piling on 82 games plus what we've seen so far this year? Well, For me, it definitely is connected to last season. And the reason I say that is because I think it's impossible for anybody inside that locker room to not have some sort of loose connection to last season. Like that's your interpretation from some of the comments that the players are making, right? Like this in a, in a vacuum, seven games into the season, when you start two, four and one, you're not dropping comments that are raising eyebrows. 
Probably you're just not. you're just off to a slow start. Yeah. But because of what took place last season, the intensity level and the heat in that locker room, especially with all the changes, especially with the fact that Daryl got chased. You've got a new coach, a new GM. The spotlight is firmly on the players now. Is that just because the intensity is ramped up because of 82 games last season and the start seven games in? I think so. I think there's something to that for sure. Um, on the text line at 960-960, Jeremy and Calgary says, why would they resign any of the UFAs right now? They're not producing. What does it matter? If they don't produce, uh, if they don't produce or some rookie doesn't produce, trade them, get picks, rebuild, so they're good for the new stadium. Uh, this reads, uh, Pat, the team isn't good enough to living built a bad team and then got out of town case closed. Uh, this reads evening gents, the players that are going into free agency should be playing for their next contract. And I don't see it winning faceoffs are important, but so are goals. You also say they lead on the shot clock, but how many are high danger chances? Um, and they have, I, you go take a look at some of the numbers they have improved, I think in that regard, which we'll talk about a little bit later on this hour. Uh, this says guys, it boiled over in 2022 when the two superstars left and it's been boiling over since now it's full eruption. I was at that game last night and they looked lost. Uh, this reads, they are who we thought they were. This says feels and looks like last year. Um, so that's just a few of the texts at nine sixty nine sixty. This reads, this team continuing to lose is going to stop Conroy from making some huge contract mistakes. So that's just a little bit of the temperature right now around this team. Again, I don't know the future. I don't know if this is going to continue, but I do know that it feels like a frustrated group right now. And I think there needs to be some urgency. Maybe this will be my, my last point on this topic. I think there needs to be some urgency from inside that room to nip it in the bud ASAP. That's kind of how I'm looking at it right now. Shut this down now. Shut this down right away. And maybe you miss the playoffs. Maybe you don't. But don't have it go the way that last year did where it was an untenable mess and everybody hated coming to the rink. And I, and I, don't, I don't think that's a guarantee that's going to happen. I think there's a large opportunity for them to not do that. So nip it in the bud now. That's how I look at it. How silly are we going to sound looking back when in a week from today they've won three in a row? Well, I don't know. I think that what we're saying right now is valid. I don't think anything that we're, I don't think we're necessarily, um, we're not, Overreacting. we're not making things up right now. And if they win three in a row, that's good. I'd love to not be talking about this in a week's <laughs> time. I really would. That isn't an official prediction, by the way. I'm not logging that one in, but. That's how quickly things can turn, but at the same time, lose all three and the sky is falling. So our look inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. Hello, fans. Calgary Co-op has refreshed its membership just for you. Now you can shop, save, and win with the new Calgary Co-op app. Download on the Apple Store and Google Play Store. Flamestock is on the air and streaming on the Sportsnet mobile app. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Calgary. Well, as we roll on this hour, Flames are running into right now a familiar problem and that is difficulty scoring they've scored four goals in their last three games all losses of course and you know in the Red Wings game probably deserved to lose by a 6-2 score the Columbus and New York games looked more similar to one another in that 
They got their opportunities. They spent a ton of time in the offensive zone, but dang, they couldn't get a lot of their high dangers aren't hitting the net and not forcing a goalie to make a stop. And then you're also seeing stretches where they're on the attack, but a lot of stuff from the perimeter. And so that's an area that obviously they need to improve on because they're spending as much time in the offensive zone as anybody in the NHL at five on five, they're second in zone time via the new NHL edge tracking system. So second in five on five for offensive zone time in the league behind only Carolina and they're fifth via shot volume. Carolina's first in both, um, but it correlates. They're a top five team in offensive zone time at five on five. They're also a top five team in generating high danger scoring chances at five on five. That's a big improvement from last year where they were a 15th ranked team with all that zone time. They were a middle of the pack team in high dangers right now. Their zone time is correlating in a nice way to high dangers. That's a positive, but they're not scoring. So my question would be, is this a trust the process situation and eventually the goals will come? Or is this a situation where they're just not blessed with enough finishers, just not fundamentally built to be a high-scoring team? And probably the answer lies somewhere in the middle. But is this a trust-the-process situation? Is that is that what it comes down to for the Flames, or is there something more at work here? What else can you do at this point if you're the Calgary Flames other not than much. trust the process? It's not like you're going to go out and acquire a game-breaker at this point cap considerations, acquisition costs, whether or not you even should go out and spend assets to bring something in, I think are all valid questions. This group, for my money, doesn't have the quote-unquote go-to guy right now. They've got a couple guys that are paid rather handsomely in the hopes of being one, but we're not seeing the finish from them. We're not seeing the the creativity from them. We're not seeing, at the end of the day, your best players have to be your best players. And it's all fine and dandy to be second in shots, five on five and fifth in shot volume and scoring chances and whatnot, as you just laid out. But you don't outcourse an opponent to win. You outscore an opponent to win. And the Calgary Flames aren't scoring. And I think you highlighted all those five on five stats. The one that's most telling to me over the past five games in terms of do they have enough high end skill is the power plays one for 18 over the last five games. So you're putting out your five best guys for a minute to a minute 15 and then rolling out your next five best guys for the remainder of that two-minute man advantage and you've converted one of 18 in the past five games. Yeah. To me, I, that screams... That's And there are ebbs and flows through a season when yep. it comes to special teams, PP and PK. But the fact is that it's really highlighted and amplified right now by the fact that you've had 18 man advantages over the last five you put one in the back of the net. Yeah. Skilled players need to produce higher than that. And they haven't been. The, uh, their five on five on ice shooting percentage ranks 24th in the league. So, so does that progress to the mean? In theory. You would hope so. So I guess I, I asked that question because I don't know. Oh, did, Siri That's wanted, mine, not yours even. Siri wanted to dive in, dive in on this conversation. What turns this? And, and I know there are many or some who don't believe that it turns and that they're just a poor finishing team and not built to be a high-scoring team. I'm not sure that 
I am fully in that camp because I do think a team that spends a good time of a good, good amount of time on the attack and has improved in generating their slot opportunities. I do think it gets better than where they are right now. I don't necessarily believe that it gets to the point where they're a top scoring team in the NHL, but 24th in shooting percentage. I think there is a potential for if they continue to do these things in the trust, the process light that they can start to score on a more regular basis. But for me, it starts to turn when it's the top players who start to, because you've got one assist from Nazem Kadri in seven games. Not good enough at you, all. You, I thought Huberto got off to a solid start, and his first four games, I was actually quite encouraged. The last three, I've been quite discouraged, and it's been very frustrating to see because I thought he got off to a really good start, and there were a lot of positives there. Um, you know, Lindholm has been impactful at times and not impactful at times. It just feels like when the top players start to be more impactful or more importantly, they start to produce more like the players they are or have been, that's when this starts to turn. Because if you're not a team that is blessed with the elite, elite talent, but your top players are not generating enough and not producing enough, it makes it hard for your depth to be a strength. And so... That, to me, is what starts to turn this conversation. Which is funny that you say that, because for me, in the limited viewings, I've only had two live viewings, and to be perfectly honest, last week I was a little sporadic in my viewings when they were on the road, but the two lines that have caught my eye the most would be the backland line, as per usual, and the line with uh, Greer, Dewar, and Sharon Govich when they were together as mm -hmm. the de facto fourth line. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, because I haven't gone through the edge site yet, and that's on me, so I'm going to put you on the spot. Do they have high danger shooting percentage as a factor or home plate area shooting percentage? Uh, I'm pretty sure they do. Because I'm wondering where the Flames rank in that because it's great that their high danger chances are up because that was the big fatal flaw from the system under Daryl Sutter. Right. Is you will just course them. To, and we heard, NH, I heard probably 20 different NHL coaches go, oh yeah, our goalie played good, but they'll shoot the puck from center ice. That was the system last year, was funnel pucks to the net from wherever. And it led to a great Corsi, not so great in the high danger chances numbers. And so now that the fact that they're still putting a lot of pucks on net, but have also brought up their high danger chances, that's a positive sign for the Calgary Flames. And maybe that should give to a degree some comfort or some inspiration that this Flames team can score more and just aren't executing. Uh, so the Flames are ranked 19th in high danger uh, shooting percentage at um, at five on five. Uh, that they have them at 13.5 percent on their high danger conversion rate. That's at five on five. Let me just pull up the all strengths for you as well, and uh, that'll give you because that counts in the power play, which is right um, where you generate a lot of high danger chances. Exactly. Funny enough, uh, Flames are. Uh, uh, got to go a little further down. They're 21st overall in. So, so here they are. They're a top five team in generating high dangers. They're either 19th or 21st in converting their high danger chances. So the question becomes, do they progress to the mean or are they just not as pinpoint accurate shooters as some of the other teams around the league? And I don't necessarily have the answer for that. Is it a cop out to say yes? <laughs> 
that they that, don't have the high skill, but or also or both. But also that they there's probably a progression to the mean as well. Do they progress to the point where they're a top 10 team? Maybe not. Do they progress to the point where they're a middle of the pack team as opposed to a bottom third team? That seems more realistic. Because I do think there's kind of a, a threshold where, yeah, NHL teams, doesn't matter if they're the Calgary Flames or the Bamp Fighting Squirrels. Trademark, oh, great team. Trademark Rob Kerr. Um, it doesn't, doesn't matter. If you're an NHL franchise with NHL players, Typically, if you're generating at a top level, but you're not converting at a top level, there is a progression over a longer sample size or a larger sample size. But at the same time, if you're not blessed with the high-end finishers, it maybe doesn't progress to a full-on correlated number where you're within a couple percents or ranking spots of what you're generating and what you're finishing. For me, there's no shortage of players on this Calgary Flames team that can generate offense through the meat and potatoes approach, the digging in the corners, the banging in front of the net, the second chance opportunities, the deflections, the real lunch pill kind of goals that an hour ago we were talking to uh, Brent Cron about. To me, it's the high-end skill that's missing at the moment. And the other thing that's missing that's not necessarily offensive related, but more in the fight related, is I don't know who drags this team into battle right now. When the chips are down or you're down a goal or two, the we will not go quietly into the night guy. And I'm not even talking about Matthew Kachuk being the 40 goal, 100 point Matthew Kachuk, just the guy that would go stir something up to just try to get any emotion going. I don't know who the emotional pot stirrer is as well. And that, again, that doesn't necessarily lead, but it builds momentum. And when you build momentum, you put one shift together, then two shifts together, then three shifts together, and suddenly you start rolling. And I think that might be part of the issue as well in terms of the offense. Is you, they're not stacking shift over shift over shift in my mind. Really curious to see uh, where this whole thing goes in the next few weeks. I, I, I do see, I think it is a significant positive that they've started to generate more slot opportunities Definitely. from their zone time. I think that is a, a positive that isn't being spoken about enough because they're not scoring. So my question, the question is, this the overwhelming uh, conversation is going to be, how do they start to turn that narrative and how do they start to score a little bit more? So yeah. I'm curious, and I'm not going to put you on the spot for this one, but I'd be very curious to see where the Calgary Flames rank in high danger chances versus zone minutes spent. Like if there's X chances generated per... 10 minutes of zone that time or whatnot. I do not have. And I honestly, I am now like fantasy footballing this whole idea of this metric versus that metric because, as you mentioned, they're right near the top of the league in terms of zone offensive zone minutes spent. How frequently are they turning those minutes into high danger chances versus other teams as well? Because it's all fine and dandy to spend 20 minutes in the offensive zone if you're generating one quality scoring chance. Eh. So. View text at 960, 960. Uh, this reads from a positive angle with a little more puck luck. Are we not having a very different conversation? I think that's true. I think we are. And that, and that is why I worry going back to the first half of this hour. It's why I worry about the frustration because they're not getting puck luck and they're not finishing chances despite doing a lot of good things. And that's when frustration can take over. And knowing how frustrating last year was with essentially the same group of humans. Well, now a lot of those same things are happening again. 
even if they're getting to the results in a slightly different and and more positive way, the results are still not. Feels like uh, feels like the, the 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 movie The Big Short when Christian Bale's character is like waiting for the housing market to crash. Like it's not happening. It's not. Ha- but I know it's going to happen. And and kind of feels like hey, they are doing things better offensively in my eyes. There are more quality opportunities, and they're still spending a lot of time on the attack, and yet the goals still aren't coming. Um, So, but yes, I think we are having a different conversation, and because of that, that's why I think that this next few weeks is pretty crucial for them. See if maybe some of those these opportunities, like can they still keep getting the opportunities? Can they still stick with the process? And can they stick with it long enough for the dam to start to break? Because I do think that there is a opportunity that that happens. Not so that it's a complete waterfall, but where we're seeing a little bit more offensive flow and a little bit more in terms of offensive results. You think that would come based on the... Again, the high danger chances being up, the zone time being elite when it comes to comparing them across the 32-team league. But on the flip side, the emotional fuse is shorter for every player, not just the star players who may be gripping the stick too tight. Based on everything that happened over 82 last year, based on what's happened over seven, like, not again, not ready to call it a boiling point, but we're not far off as long as these things continually happen. Same result maybe a little bit different in terms of how they're generating and, and what they're processing. But at the end of the day, they're still out shooting teams and losing uh, a few more texts, nine sixty nine sixty. Chris writes, Pat, this team's time to be a contender left with Johnny and Matthew should have rebuilt. Then they now have good accessories being asked to be offensive leaders, which is not going to happen. Um, this says nice that you guys are trying to find positives in the numbers, but most of us have accepted that this is an average boring team. By the way, trust the process is making my ears bleed. Make it stop. Um, it's really all you can do right now. Uh, Rob says, uh, I like what a guest said today on the Jeff Merrick show. The flames are a supporting cast in needing a superstar. Um, they, they do not have a superstar on this team right now. And you know, I think Rasmus Anderson is, trending towards being an upper echelon defense. I think he already is an upper echelon defenseman, but I think he's trending on, on just continuing to better his overall impact. They don't have Rasmus in the lineup for two more games, but um, no, they don't have a, this is not a team with a superstar on it. This is not a team that they can fall back on a superstar goaltender to carry them to the playoffs. This is not a team that can rely on a superstar forward to take them on their back for a 10 minute span and turn a one goal deficit into a one goal lead. That's just not what they are. And I think some of the frustration lies in the fact is two seasons ago, they had that all-star goaltender and two seasons ago, albeit with another organization, you had a guy that finished with 115 points. And then you later on a third guy who just had won a Stanley cup before arriving here too. Like to me, the pieces to a degree are still there and in place. And just, and I'm again, I'm going to say that Jacob Markstrom has been one of the bright spots of the Calgary Flames Great. this season. So I, I don't want to necessarily say this is a blanket statement. I think it's important to highlight when a guy's bounced back and, and Markstrom through seven games or five starts or whatever it is has. But everybody, it's, it's going to be by committee, but you need some of those upper echelon guys in your lineup to be upper echelon guys in your lineup. Yeah. Well... Uh, I did want to say, uh, just before we wrap up this hour, really tough news on the American League front as well. Yeah. 
Jeremy Poirier had a really rough weekend. So he got hurt on Friday night, but, and it looked worse than it was. He was good to come back and play on Saturday in Abbotsford for the Wranglers. And then in that Saturday game against the Wranglers, at some point took a skate off the arm and a significant laceration that is going to keep him out of action for a while. He's going to need surgery. That was uh, like we, we had spoken to Trent Cull on the head coach of the Wranglers on Monday's show. And he said, yeah, you know what guys, like we're not sure what's happening with Jeremy. Cause there wasn't a whole lot. It wasn't really all that well known that he had sustained that laceration. And so, yeah, he uh, sustained it on Saturday in the second game against Abbotsford. He's going to require surgery and will be out of the Wranglers lineup indefinitely. He was off to such a good start to the season and one goal, six assists for seven points in four, four games. games. Like that's like, you're like, okay, another step taken. That was really too bad to read. So especially uh, after all recovery. the injury trouble he had throughout the summer as well, the tail end of last season, and 100%, the summer. which kept him out of the start of training camp at, at, you know, full speed. So speedy recovery to Jeremy yes. Poirier. Uh, and hopefully that is, is able, he's able to come back in a somewhat timely fashion. Um, I just, I feel really bad for him. Just more tough luck on the Rizicka front. There is some optimism that maybe it's not a long-term thing. We'll see uh, if he's able to play on Thursday against the St. Louis blues or not, but uh, it sounds like maybe there's some optimism that it's not going to be like a Pelche or a Rooney, but there's been some adversity early on a uh, suspension of four games that gets upheld. Pelche lost for the first half of the season. Rooney lost for the first half of the season. We don't know what Shillington status is. Then you've got Ruzicka and Poirier. It's been an adverse start to the season for the Flames and, and, uh, we'll we'll see how they uh, we'll see how they're able to deal with it going into Game Eight on Thursday night. Stay tuned because you never know what's going to happen next with these Calgary Flames. That's very true. Uh, thank you, Vix. Have a uh, have a good rest of your uh, your Wednesday. Eh? I will. You as well. Uh, Aaron Vickers is on Twitter at AA Vickers. Our producers this hour have been Taylor and Cam, and that'll wrap us up this hour. This hour has been the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Save four hundred and fifty dollars on the Braun EV fifty nine twenty two gun safe now just fourteen fifty. Or explore the full line of safes at CalgaryLockandSafe.com.